all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm post-tax season Rachel. <laughs> and I'm uh, post-tax season David. I, <laughs> yeah, I, didn't know I what guess else we all are. <laughs> and this is post-tax season all bad things. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy it's over. Yes. But so, I'm also so, a little so bored. <laughs> yes. So within a couple weeks, uh, I guarantee you audience will be talking about a new project she's underway with. Oh, yes. And completely obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Well, you already know I'm reading the tax code. I, I'm I reading Title 26. So, yes. Yeah. Um, we have so much housekeeping to get through that I'm going to get started straight away. Yes. Um, I have, uh, <laughs> I've caught my 27,000th cold of the year or flu or whatever it is. So my apologies in advance for my voice, for the coughing that will inevitably occur. Um, so yes, I have little chicken scratches about all the things I want to talk about. <laughs> it's a lot too. <laughs> I see that. Uh-huh. First off, um, not to make anyone feel left out, um, our listener Audra messaged us this week and wanted us to give a shout out to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, yes. We apologize (laughs) (laughs) that this comes after they've been eliminated in the first round of the NHL playoffs being swept. Historic collapse, not only for a hockey team, for... Like major professional sports, like this is a pretty. That was a pretty epic one. Yeah, but it's like that Netflix show Losers. You know, like there's a story behind everything, right? Have I seen that show? Yeah, we watched several episodes together. The one about the um, the figure skater. Oh, I thought the okay. I was yes. And- I was thinking of something else. Okay, and uh, one of these episodes the that curlers? actually. Yeah, but the one thing I did actually see that they covered on that was the Jean Vandeveld, who had a... A golfer, right? Who had a four-stroke lead or a three-stroke mm. lead going onto the last hole, uh, wound up giving up all those strokes, and then lost in the playoff. Yeah. Which was pretty... Uh, uh, speaking of epic... Yeah. There have uh, been a lot of epic fails yeah. in the world. Just as many more... No, m- nay, more failures than successes in the world. And you can't succeed... If you're afraid to fail. That is true. And so. this is also my uh, duty to push the Carolina Hurricanes mm. and how we're doing in the playoffs. We had a terrible game last night, but it happens. We're recording this the day before it comes out. This is uh, April 21st for us right now. It's the t- coming out. I'm talking 22nd. about the game last night where they get lost six to nothing. I know, but uh, I'm putting into context what last night is. Oh, was, I see what you mean. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Plus I have all my days mixed up because I worked I today know. for the first time in a while. We went to the beach. Yeah, <laughs> there's all this. I, I went to the beach sick. So, super fun. So anyway, I saw somebody uh, tweet earlier today. The Carolina Hurricanes still have more playoff wins than the following three teams. <laughs> and that would be Tampa Bay, <laughs> Pittsburgh, yeah. and Calgary. Those three teams combined for one win. Wow. <laughs> well, there you go. So. <coughs> Take warning. Whatever happens tomorrow night, uh, which would be Monday night, the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to the game with somebody. Don't know who yet. <laughs> we'll find out. I who. will be there. I will tweet out some photos. Hmm. Um, we may or may not be eliminated. If it does happen, no big deal. It was a lot of fun. 
And they, this they're a young them, team with yes. a lot of a lot success of ahead of them. Yes. Let's yeah. hope. Uh, let's hope it stays that way. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of a lot of new people on the bandwagon. I'm I'm fine with that, just as long as they give them a reason to stay on the bandwagon. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, we, uh, I thought this said save meds and I didn't know what that meant. It says Soshmeads because I, <laughs> I forget. Save meds. Save meds. <laughs> I forget to say, but follow us at All Bad Things Pod. Oh yeah, I've been Insta, forgetting Insta, Twitter, that too. Facebook. Yep. A lot of people have been finding us and reaching out, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you can also email us, allbadthingspod at gmail. And in fact, if you have a suggestion for a topic, that's actually the best way to give it to us, if you yes. don't mind, because it's searchable. Yes. So if, like, for example, today when I was getting caught up on podcast stuff and was like, oh, shit, who suggested that topic? I can just search my email. Mm-hmm. If it's on a Facebook message or something, it's harder to look through. Much so, harder. Um, and and if you want to send in the research as well, we, we, would, we would be honored to, to take it. Our dear friend Michelle sent in some research of a very good topic. Excellent. One Thank we've you. heard of, too. Thank so, you, Michelle. Yeah. Yes, we'll definitely be getting to that one. Um, we're actually counting down to our last few episodes before our 100th, our 100th episode. Our three-parter? Is that what we're doing? Yes. Three-parter, big topic. Um, and then we're going to be almost to our second anniversary, potiversary. We yeah, have been we doing will. this for almost... Well, no, we have been doing... Well, almost. almost. We, we recorded for the first time like around Memorial Day weekend of 2017. Yes, we did. So it was a little before it came and out. And the very first thing we recorded, I'm not even sure if we can retrieve and is never going to be let out. The bills, the bills thing, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that was before we even really came up with the concept for yeah. the show. We were, just, yeah. we were just kind of fucking around. Yeah. We do have a lost episode or two out there, though. I th- yes, we do. Yeah. Um, a, a local bad thing that I'm not sure if it happened before our previous episode, but... There was a gas leak in Durham, North Carolina. Like That's right. Ten-ish days ago, maybe a little less. Anyway, like that. <coughs> excuse me. There was um, a coffee shop. There was a gas leak, um, and the owner of the coffee shop unfortunately died in the gas yeah. leak, which is horrible. The yeah. explosion. explosion. It's not just a leak. It was yeah. an explosion, obviously. Um, so yeah, we kind of had a local bad thing happen. Mm-hmm. Gas leaks are no joke. No, they're not. They're very scary too. Very scary. So, uh, well, James was telling me because the fire department deals with those. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, those are fucking scary. Yeah. yeah. He's like, because you don't know. No, you don't know what's, it, when it's going to go off. He's what? like, he's like, shits all over the place. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, speaking of not being able to search Facebook messages, please just let me know who you are again. But somebody, <laughs> um, explained what RMS stands for. You know, we keep saying Royal, Royal Majesty, Majesty ship. Royal Mail Ship. Oh, okay. It's a mail ship because um, mail was incredibly important back in the day. I mean, it still is, but like it was that's a how it was main going. That way That's how of, it was going uh, intercontinentally. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, there wasn't anybody flying it over. Yeah, so the, we, were, we were speculating. Right, we were speculating a couple episodes ago um, that it meant Royal Majesty ship. We were wrong. <laughs> it's Royal Mail ship. So. Although I did learn, um, I can't remember whose podcast I was listening to. Um, but Neil deGrasse, oh, it was a Joe Rogan podcast, but, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson went into how our first use of commercial planes was to deliver mail. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that they, makes sense because what yeah. it's not so much about getting people that, and he was like that yeah. was the next logical step was now now right. how do we put passengers on board? Right. So uh-huh. Yeah. And mail. Mm-hmm. And mail. <laughs> we can take them both at Or the same one time. or the other. Sorry, I was lost in my notes trying to figure out what I wrote. Because um, <laughs> I, like, this is what Stephen, N2 tax system. It's NZ tax system. So our New Zealand listener, Stephen, mm-hmm. gave me a nice little rundown about the New Zealand tax system. Remember when I was asking for mm-hmm. people to explain their tax systems? It was very interesting, and I appreciated it. Um and then um, continuous apologies. More people want to join the discussion group on Facebook. And I swear it just keeps, I go to accept and it just keeps showing, oh, nobody's asking. It like notifies me. So-and-so wants to join the discussion group. I tap on it and it's like, oh, nobody wants to join the discussion group. Facebook is fucking with me. And it's very annoying, and I'm, I promise I'm it's not the, ignoring you. It's the deep state that's fucking with you. I guess so. Um, and then lastly, I wanted to, um, uh, I heard from Alex. Uh, remember we talked about Alex a couple episodes ago? Yes. And her GoFundMe mm-hmm. page. Um, she did confirm her pronouns, she and her, so we're good to, good to go on that. Um but uh, she asked if she could kind of write something out for me so that basically I wouldn't, and understandably, wouldn't fuck up her situation in our description. <laughs> oh, kind of well, tried. So just to make sure okay, that. Sure. That, so I wrote some bullet points from okay, it. She, yeah, she wrote a really comprehensive um, description. But Alex is a great listener, a long time listener, and she's going through a tough time right now and has set up a GoFundMe page. We have linked to it a couple times. We'll link to it again. Um, so Alex and her service dog, Teddy, is who the money Oh, that's the name to. of the dog. Teddy, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. We also have a, a, we have a loyal a, listener named Teddy. Yes, our female mail carrier, yes. Teddy. Um, who sent the hat pin? Yes. Yes. Uh, so Alex can no longer live with her parents, who she's been living with. Uh, she was, she's had a, a litany of health problems throughout her life. Um, I'll bet. She was born with sepsis, so she was born with a really? very dangerous infection. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just straight from the beginning and has been legally blind since birth. Um, she said she had a pretty normal childhood, even with that kind of rough start. God, um, I, I fucking hope so. But then she had a swimming accident when she was 14. Okay. And it led to chronic debilitating pain. Okay. So, um, and then she started declining medically, like her health started declining from there. She is a U.S. Paralympian. Oh, Which really? Which is very cool. Yes. Um, she said... That is... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> she said... <laughs> I think she's she's a little a little snarky on you ever since you made that comment about the blind school. Sure. Um, she said, not the Special Olympics, David. Oh, like, I, specifically. I, well, I knew that before I watched this, right. but the reason I will always remember this mm-hmm. is because of uh, Murder Ball. Yes. They, were- they took high offense to that. Oh, special Olympics! Because they I gotcha. weren't; they were paral- they were Paralympians. Well, is aren't isn't aren't this? Mm, I don't know. Maybe I'm going off now. But the Special Olympics are for people with developmental Mental disabilities and, and um, intellectual disabilities. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Paralympians, Paralympians are, are for physical disabilities. Yes. 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 Uh-huh. 
Not that there's not crossover. Some people have. Not that that doesn't suck too. Well, yes. <laughs> and but, and some people may have both as but well. I can, but I can see how between those communities there might be just a, you know, I'm not this, I'm this. Well, I can understand that. Well, I mean, it's it's a big difference between being paralyzed and, and between ha- having a, a developmental disability or yeah. an intellectual disability. I just remember the one guy, um, he was talking about, he was the guy that. Got um, thrown from the truck. No, he was the guy that got oh. in a fight at the bar and landed on his oh. head wrong. Um, and he said he had showed up to a bar one time, and like his buddy was talking about, hey, there's this girl that I want you to meet. You know, uh-huh. She's pretty hot and stuff like that. And she came up to him, and she was, she was like, I heard you're going to be in the Special Olympics. Oh, and, she, and he was like, and she probably wasn't doing it No, she, she didn't. on purpose, or yeah. she just didn't know. Yeah. But he was just like... He was just like for the rest of the night. He's like, I just, he's like, I just felt like the like the biggest chump. Oh, that's and I was just like, oh, that's that's rough. Sucks. Oh, yeah, not uh, yeah, because that's not what he was doing. No, there's nothing wrong with the Special Olympics, to be clear. But yeah, when that's not, I'm sure Paralympians get people telling them, oh, you're in the Special Olympics all the time. It probably gets really tiring. I will not say his quote. But uh, you, oh, can, you can look it up. Did he use the R word? He did. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not nice. But um, so, but sorry, Alex. Back to Alex. Um, so she had to. So she was a Paralympian, but then she had to stop swimming because of the pain. Like she couldn't sure. swim anymore. Um, she has had fourteen with more planned um, moderate to major surgeries. Oh my She's God. gone through, and then countless other procedures, oh. tests. Blood draws, checkups, you know. yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, she was eventually diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's two names, you know. That's why it's um, it's a progressive degenerative um, connective tissue disorder. Okay. Um, interestingly, I, I I'm read. I'm not even going to p- pretend to know what any of that means. Right. Well, connective <laughs> tissue, you know that I, it's it like of... it can affect the skin, the oh, joints. Okay. The, okay. Um, I see what you mean the tendons and ligaments of the body. Well, I mean, they say that your skin is really like officially your biggest organ. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They say, um, uh, do you know who Niccolo Paganini was? Mm. He's a, he's a very virtuosic violinist and guitar player. We're talking like early 1800s. Okay. And composer. He's one of my grandfather's favorite composers. And, um, they theorize he may have had this syndrome, which allowed for hypermobility of his joints. So that's how he could play faster than anybody else, because that's a, apparently a, a sign that is sometimes present in um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. She didn't say all that. No, I'm sorry, Alex. I'm going off your script. Um, Go so, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, Alex is one of the many, many, many people who get caught in the cracks of the system, our government system, oh. in that yeah, system and major many, quotations. many, 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 many people um, that she she doesn't qualify for and can't find temporary housing. That that it that just fucking disgusts me. I know it's on awful. so many levels. It's awful. And I mean, it's it's just. And she said not for a lack of trying, and I definitely believe her. Yeah. Um. So, so what her GoFundMe is for is for a folding power chair, okay, for a wheelchair, um, for temporary housing. Right now, unfortunately, the, and this sucks so bad because this happens. This happens to a lot of people, and it shouldn't have to. But um, right now, her best option is looking like a long-term motel. <laughs> I know. Um, 
also to take care of Teddy. You know, she's got well, a yeah, that's, she's got that's a, true. a dog yeah. and not just a dog, a service dog. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure it needs special attention. Right. Right. Um, her. Uh, her sort of long-term solution, which is in- ingenious, I think, is um, to, to do a tiny house. Yeah. I, I've, Isn't that awesome? I've actually uh, I've come across a tiny house YouTube channel that I've been watching a lot <laughs> Oh, lately. nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have a feeling either way, Alex is going to get through this somehow. She seems to me to be a, a fighter. Well, she's gotten through she's, an I, awful I, lot yeah, in her life. I, I doubt she knows any other way, to be honest. Right. Um, yeah. But and if we can make, even if it's a, a month's rent at this hotel that she might have to, right. whatever. She, she also said. If we can said, make something like that happen, that would, that would help. She also said specifically, any amount helps. So, yeah. like, don't feel like there's, hey, I can only afford, like, to chip in 10 Five bucks. bucks. No problem. You know, no two dollars, whatever. Yeah, yeah, anything, literally. Yeah, literally. So, thank you, Alex, for reaching out. I hope I got that all right. So, please feel and, free and, to and correct I, me. And I hope someday we really do build a society where you don't have to fucking worry about all this shit. Because it, it, it's. Uh, anyway. I know we can't. We we need to <laughs> yes. move on. We need to move on. And sorry that that as, was such as a long if, housekeeping. As if we're not going to get button. angry enough with oh what we God. have coming up tonight, guys. This that, is going to be a, such a long a good, episode. That was a good jumping off point to get. I think this uh, get this, this up. fine burial beer. Oh, out of uh, out of Asheville. Metallic vessels. It is a black lager with coffee, and I, I need it. <laughs> you need some coffee because I I got worked today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I am having. One of our oh cheers, yeah, yep. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Cans don't cheers very well, Not very well, though. especially in koozies because then no. they sort of bump up against <laughs> yes. each other. And now mine's all broken. Did you return did. Danielle's koozie? Yes, I okay. did. Okay, the hurricane's lost because you stole her koozie. That's what she thinks. Yeah, I don't believe her. <laughs> um, I'm drinking an- yet another one of the fine um, coconut lime sours from Brooklyn. yes. <coughs> <coughs> And, and, that has nothing to do with the beer. <laughs> and keep it. No, it doesn't. And keep it seasonal because it's fun. You know, it's like the uh, it's like the McRib. Yeah, it comes around. Every, yeah. I, I cannot relate to the McRib. No, however. I, can't, I can't tell you the last time I had one of those. <laughs> do things. they still make them? I think they do. I'm pretty sure they do. We'll cover that in one of our episodes. <laughs> yeah. <with laughs> the, the tragedy McRib, of yes, the McRib. That, that I'm sure that is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Part of the reason we were fine, like, blabbing for 18 minutes is because this is going to be rough. It's, it's because, going to be long. Because nobody's going to be fine from here on out. And we're, But we're going to get through it together. So um, this is going to be a long one. I will give a disclaimer that this story, like, almost, well, not almost, it cannot be told in its entirety. There is too much. So I know I left stuff mm-hmm. out. And I apologize because it's not going to be literally everything that happened because so much it's happened. A lot, and it's still happening. Yes. And we'll get to we'll that. We'll get to some but, of that, I'm sure. Um, but I just I just wanted to kind of disclaim that in the beginning. It's going to be long and we're still not going to get to everything. But I am hopefully have caught the high points or <laughs> the low points, really, in what happened. You already look so sad and concerned. I'm like, I, yeah. <laughs> this is this is such a miserable story. Like, it's it's what's it's sad, right? And then it's unfair. Yeah. And then it's infuriating. Yeah. 
And then it's just I, I'm back still, to I'm tragic. still kind of worked up about Alex, to be honest. Oh, uh, yeah. But anyway. I know. I know. The, it got my anger in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we left off last week on Saturday, April 15th, 1989, where, and I'll get into this um, in, in just one minute, 94 people were killed that day. And I'll get into... Okay. It, it was actually 94. So I and messed that up. I believe I said 95. It's okay. And yeah. I, I understand why. And we'll get into that. Um, and an additional 766 were injured at Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield, England, during a football match between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest in what is still the worst disaster in British sports history. Um, real quick, um, one of our British listeners, I believe her name is Joanne. I'm sorry if that's not your name, but on Twitter, um, said that she enjoyed... Uh, your British Aussie hybrid. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best I can do on short notice. <laughs> exactly. They say um, mate in England, though, don't they? I think so, I think but I don't do. think they say They don't might. say it like that. They don't, they don't say it like a, like a dumb and dumber. Let's like, show us like, like, a shrimp on the bob, eh? Yeah, she's like, she, he's like, where are you from? She's like, Austria. He goes, Austria? Oh. Well, good, good day, day, mate. <laughs> Another shrimp on the bobby. Do you know why that's even funny that they don't call them shrimp in Australia? They're prawns. So to say throw a shrimp on the barbie is by by definition not Australian. Right. <laughs> but dumb Americans, meaning us, we wouldn't know what they meant if they said throw a prawn on the barbie. Uh, I, I would have an idea. I would. Well, I would know. I mean, I was in the restaurant. For a long time, I thought a prawn and a shrimp were two different things. They are mm. not. Nope. All right. So one of the horrible ironies of this disaster, and we talked about this last week, is that it was essentially two separate disasters, right? There was yes, like the very, initial trauma much so. it of really the disaster is. and then a secondary trauma, um, which is how everything was handled afterwards. So we're going to cover the aftermath today. Um, so quick point of order, 94 people, I said, right? Mm-hmm. Here's why. I, I touched on one of, one of these people last week, but um, so one victim... 18-year-old Tony Bland, I mentioned him mm-hmm. last week. He was a Liverpool fan, 18 years old. Oh, no. um, he suffered a massive brain hemorrhage, or brain damage, sorry, from the disaster, and he re- remained in a persistent vegetative state for several years. I think we may have mentioned Terry Schiavo last week. We did. Because she was, a, a, yes. I mean, at this point, not terribly recent, but, you know, more modern um Example yeah, of Gen, Gen Z is not going to know anything about that, really. Right. Uh, but I, I completely forgot about it until you brought it up. I was yeah, like, I know. oh, yeah. It was, was so contentious mm-hmm. and such a big deal back then. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that a poor woman being in a perf- persistent vegetative state wasn't a big deal. It was just the, the drama over. Like, that's what the worst part of the Terry Schiavo case was, was the battles over this woman who couldn't just say what her her wish was it was a bunch of people speaking well, well, for her leave it up to our elite class to uh well somewhat smear but definitely uh what's the word i'm looking for drag somebody who can't defend themselves into their position mm-hmm. she was used as a puppet or a pawn a prop a, that's what i'm looking a for pa- a prop yep mm-hmm. for different yeah political positions and it was really sad it was a really sad um case but um so tony bland he was in a persistent vegetative state for several years. His parents had to petition the court to specifically allow him to die, to withdraw um, life-sustaining measures, meaning food and water, mm-hmm. um, 
And on March 3rd, no, 19... And oxygen, too, I would guess. Well, I think he could... Uh, per, I, th- I believe people in a... Some people in a persistent vegetative state can actually breathe on their own. I don't know if you saw footage of Terry Schiavo when all that was going on. She I don't necessarily was, remember that. She was but... reacting. Oh, okay. She was up and around. I mean, like in a wheelchair or whatever. There, It's not, it's not a coma, necessarily. Sure. Um, but it's just... A, a, a horrific level of brain damage, you know. Um, but he, so Tony Bland became the first patient in English legal history to be allowed to die. Wow. Okay. Through the, yeah, through um, be, having life saving measures withheld. So, wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's, it was, it was a landmark case. Yeah. Um, so, here's the other person. I said 94 people, right? So, there's also Tony mm-hmm. Bland. Um, another victim, Andrew Devine, was 22 at the time of the disaster. Um, oh, wait. No, no, no. Sorry. I skipped. Hold on one second. 14-year-old. Sorry. This is going to get even worse. <sighs> Lee Nickel was fatally injured that mm-hmm. day, but he remained on life support for four days. So technically, he didn't die until um, April 19th, I believe. Okay. So so he wasn't declared dead that day. So gotcha. that's why I say 94. Right. We knew, that, we knew that Tony Bland died a few years later, so he would have been 96, but 95 was actually a few days later. Then, very, like, we didn't really talk about the injured that much, no. um, but one of the more catastrophically injured people um, was Andrew Devine. So he was 22 at the time of the disaster, and he remained in a persistent vegetative state for several years, but he started showing signs of ability to communicate in by the mid-90s. Really? So it took okay. a few years, but he actually started to recover to an extent. Um from what I can tell, the last article I could find that referenced him being alive was in 2017. So as far as I know, okay. he is actually still alive today. Being okay. cared for, obviously. I don't yeah. think he he didn't Imagine come that. back to, uh, you know, an average state of life. But um, but he is apparently communicative on some level. And um, so he's been to like my knowledge, still living. 30 years. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. It's rough is what it is. I mean, that's just... Uh, yeah. 22. Yeah. 22. Now he's 52. Now he's 52. Yeah. So, uh, that's the bright spot of this. Isn't that Jesus. horrific? Oh, my God. So, now we're getting into, like I said, the closest we're going to get to sort of doing true crime, because the rest of this story is very close Pretty to much just is true crime. crime. Um, because... Oh, the, the, yeah, these people are... Fucking criminals. Because uh, uh, the cover-up started... Immediately. Right away. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they were thinking of what they were going to... How they were going to screw everybody over while people were still dying. That's my theory. Like, people were... They were watching people die and thinking, how can we blame this on anybody else? That's my theory. Yeah, because the... Uh, I mean, I watched the whole um, game telecast... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which lasts for, I think it lasts for like 40 minutes, but it's yeah. all of the 
footage they're right. they've got the cameras rolling mm-hmm. trying they're they're trying to figure out what's happening yes it took them and a while yes. just like it took the fans on the other side yes those players, and also you had you had the nottingham forest fans taunting the liverpool fans right. because they didn't really know what was happening right they thought liverpool fans got on the field to fuck like, with their team yeah yeah and so then the police had to do a barricade to, yeah like it was just mass confusion it was but i think the powers that be were like Nobody really knows what the fuck is happening. So let's get our we, stories straight. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we will let that filter down. Mm-hmm. And the people who don't agree with our story, fuck these people. My my sort of theme for what happened is it's all about who controls the, the story. The narrative. Who controls the narrative. Exactly. Yeah. And when you can control the narrative from day one, from minute one, you have an extreme advantage. Oh. And we'll see how extreme. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about, we're going to pick up, because you basically stopped right at, like, Maria the disaster. Yeah. yeah. So you, you talked about the initial part of the emergency response. I did. So we're going to go a little deeper into that. Yeah, Especially this, the this delay. Was, this was fucked, too. Yeah. So, if you'll remember, in Bradford City Stadium fire, that actually ends up being very pertinent to this story, which we covered mm-hmm. um, several episodes ago. Um, that disaster changed a lot about crowd control in the UK. And also how stadiums were built. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, and it resulted in Hillsborough making an emergency plan or revising their emergency plan to try and prevent a similar disaster from happening there. And this wasn't necessarily a, quote, similar disaster. This was, that was a fire. Mm-hmm. This was, I mean, yes, there were some crowd elements to it, but they were able to get on the field. Right. Easily. There was not a, the fence. So that they had, but to, it was to, still like what sixty people. Oh, that it was. Died it was still like yes. That? It was still very deadly. Yeah, I, I, I would like. I need to go back and listen to that episode. That actually dropped when I was in Green Bay. I remember that. Oh wow! So that was a while ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole reason when you brought up a stadium disaster was because I was go- on my way to a new stadium. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um. So the new emergency plan included that South Yorkshire ambulance services would make two ambulances available um, on game day anytime there was a match at the stadium. Uh, one was going to be right at the grounds, and one was going to be a couple miles away. Or, sorry, one mile away, on standby. Uh, also part of the deal was that Sheffield Wednesday, the home team, uh, they promised to give the South Yorkshire Ambulance Services two free tickets to each home match. Oh, which, yeah, yeah. the... the um, the reasoning was that the ambulance workers had to be on the grounds if they were in the, or near the crowd. It would be even easier for them to access people if an emergency should hey, happen. You can never have too many emergency responders around. <laughs> well, that's I, true. I would think that'd be part. And plus, they they literally uh, provide a great service to the community. So they probably earn their two free tickets as well. Sure, but here's the problem: the um. Uh-oh. The logic of what they did with these tickets was a little skewed. Um, they, the seats that they would give these two ambulance workers were near the players' tunnel entrance onto the field. Okay. Um, and that raised some eyebrows uh, because 
people were like, um, does that mean that you're pretty much keeping them there so that if a player gets hurt, it's easy to get them off the field, not so much the crowd? Because here's the thing. Um, there was a point near where that ambulance was outside. Um, there was a designated emergency area called the Casualty Reception Point, the CRP. Uh, that was the gym, which we'll get into, behind the North Stand. That's where the ambulance was. So wouldn't it make a lot more sense for them to be close to that as opposed to by the player's tunnel? So there was some thought that they were just using that, you know, that emergency plan to kind of make some ambulance workers available for their players if they needed. Not so much concerned with the crowd. So anyway, so after, well, and we know that the whole emergency response was delayed. So. The crush and the disaster were, were starting to become fully understood when police um, addressed officials and the match referee, whose name was Ray Lewis, not oh, that Ray okay. Lewis, <laughs> um, and the referee stopped the game at 3.06 p.m. local time. It had already been several minutes that this crush was going on. That was not the beginning of the crush. No, um, it was not. Now, at this point, the two ambulance workers on the grounds radioed to their central command that they wanted that second backup ambulance at the stadium, right? They had the one. They had the other one a mile away. So, okay, come on, bring that one. But they said, they reported when they wanted that second ambulance that there was a, quote, minor incident. Yeah, that's right. It got underreported, essentially. Mm -hmm. And... Either their like their casual attitude or just the lack of understanding. Like maybe they didn't really know what was going on I either. Was, I think it, I honestly think it was the latter. So, but that can be seen in the footage. Yes, it can. You can see them sort of casually walking off uh, the pitch yes. to get a stretcher, and they're not running. They are not seeming and, urgent. And also, they're just like strolling. And also, the police control box is right above where this whole thing is happening. Mm. I'm sure you're going to get into that. I didn't, but... Oh, okay, it I is. I said I can't get into it. So it, it was... Um, What's a police control box? Like their main security area was in a oh, tower okay. above, and they could literally look down and see gotcha. this happening. And they weren't reacting. They weren't responding. Mm. They weren't responding the way they should have. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. But yeah, that's in one of the documentaries, whatever. Gotcha. But, so at 3.12 p.m., six minutes after the match stopped... The the one mm-hmm. medical yep. person on site was a St. John's Ambulance Service volunteer. Okay. There were cops. Sure. There were absolutely police officers, but the only person like in there helping people that was a that was a medical service emergency medical responder was one volunteer. Um. So while still waiting for medical care, victims were literally dying, standing Mm -hmm. up of compressive asphyxia. Um, The police and the single medic were overwhelmed. The crowd really were the first responders. Yes, they were. The the rest of the fans were. um, Many spectators rushed to the field to help victims. Once they started realizing what was going on, we already talked about people helping people up to other stands. The people in the upper tier were helping people get out. Yes. Um, literally, now, literally <clears throat> lifting them out. Yes. Yes. By their arms, like pulling mm-hmm. them up. Yeah. So infamously advertising signs, mm-hmm. like, you know, along the, the side of the, um, 
uh, pitch were torn down by fans to make stretchers to be able to carry people off. People were actually being very resourceful. Oh, yeah. They were like... We need to move people. That's what I'm saying. How it's, do we do this? They were, yeah. this crowd was like on fucking point. That's what I'm saying. Like Brits, they're just fucking battle hardened. They, they, like, they, they know what to do. Like you get, mm-hmm. you got to use whatever you use, whatever you got. Mm-hmm. So if I've got to rip down a Sony banner that probably costs right? them $5 million or whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do use it because I'm going to help people. Exactly. So... In the meantime, the South Yorkshire Ambulance Services, they didn't really know what was going on. Uh, Protocol required that the injured be delivered to that casualty reception point um, at the gym, but that required a formal declaration to be made, which was not happening. Um, No one really knew where they were supposed to be, why. They didn't know if they were supposed to be going to the pitch whether they should stay and wait for people to get brought to them. There was a lot of confusion. 42 ambulances arrived at Hillsborough. 42 ambulances. It took until 3.16 p.m. for one ambulance to drive on the field. In the end, a total of three ambulances ended up on the field of 42. And um, they were the only ones that were actually went to the field all the other ambulances took people to the hospital. That was also important. Not saying that it wasn't, but um, only two made it actually to the victims in immediate need of assistance. And it needed to be a hell of a lot more than two. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, again, poor response plan all around. Yes. just, And I get confusion, but if you're an emergency response, you can't get confused. Well, I think, honestly... Not to this level. Honestly, the reason they get confused is because there's no plan. I mean, really. There was technically a plan. Kind of, but not for this kind of carnage yeah. that's going on. And there yeah. needed to be a plan for that, too. Not for fucking field to open that fucking gate. Exactly. There was not a plan for that. Yeah, so uh, we'll get to fucking field later. And that's so juvenile for me to say that. But anyway. Um, I think he's earned it. <laughs> so the gymnasium. Mm. Tell you, yeah, this is, this is a dark spot. This whole fucking story is so... It's awful. So, the casualties of the disaster um, were moved into the gymnasium, the casualty reception point, where the scene was almost as chaotic as it had been on the pitch. Uh, Any medical personnel present... Oh, and also, I think I mentioned it later, but like... You know, that is there a doctor in the house? There were qualified medical doctors just there as spectators who helped injured people like they were the first medical responders and they were genuinely helping talk about living up to the uh, hippocratic oath exactly no no matter where you are whatever you're doing ready to help if you're a doctor and somebody needs help it's it's your responsibility to help that person exactly so the medical personnel who were present at the gymnasium had to basically like check each person like are they alive or are they dead? Is there anybody? Is there a sign of life? Can we help well, this doing person? A, they're doing triage. Yes. Yeah, basically. So, and they had very little medical equipment. Very few surprise, supplies. Triage is supposed to happen on a battlefield, not at a fucking soccer game. Do you know how they do it? I. The tags. I don't. No, I don't. So, um. I don't even I remember when I, I never, first heard of never this. Never wanted to think about it, but. Yeah. Sure. I I definitely saw it on Grey's Anatomy, but I had heard about it before. Oh, you know what? I think I read a Wikipedia article once on it. Um, 
but in ext- in high casualty incidents, um, when they're going to a site mm. where there's a high number of people dead or injured, um, there are different colors of tags that people get um, to show their level of like how much care they need, right? Mm. And I don't remember the exact colors. I'm like, I think red is like extremely urgent. Uh, you know, green is okay. They're fine. You know, diff- different things like that. There's a black tag, mm-hmm. which is they're dead. And in extreme casualty incidents, if I'm not mistaken, they also have to make judgment calls of like, this person isn't dead, but there's so little hope that we need to be helping somebody else. It's yeah. just horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. So. This is the and worst. And that's what somebody <laughs> and that's what somebody had to do because of poor crowd control at a football yep. game. Yep. Soccer game. I'm gonna keep calling them both throughout yeah, this whole thing. Yeah, there you go. Sure. I think it's I think people understand that. Um, so eventually those who were alive were transported Jesus. to the to hospital um, for medical treatment. And the dad, including those who were initially taken to the hospital, were returned back to the gym. And the oh, gym became the morgue. That, oh, that's right. Yes. So oh, anyone who, who like died on route or was discovered to be dead on route yeah. or even was once they got back. to the hospital, they were brought back. Yes. Um, and the gym was a makeshift morgue. Um, so by the end of the confusion, 768, I guess, had been injured. 94 were dead. And in the morgue, because we talked about the two. Uh, the two temporary survivors. Um, uh, 89 of the victims were male, almost all men and boys. Um, I guess that makes sense because of the makeup of a typical soccer crowd, probably. Um, seven were female. The youngest victim, John Paul Gahuli, was 10. And the oldest God. was 67-year-old Ger- Gerard Bernard Patrick Barron. And... Most, like the vast majority of the victims were in their teens and 20s, some in their 30s and 40s. It's just a very young crowd. Again, sports fans just going to see a that, Saturday that, uh, soccer game. And that 10 year old had no chance. Mm-mm. I mean, really. Mm-mm. And this yeah. is going to get so dark in this next paragraph. I'm so sorry. So, uh, very heartbreakingly, the family members, and because this was a lot of young people, it was mostly people's moms and dads, mostly people's parents, um, had to go to the place their kid died or their loved one died to identify their bodies. Um, and some of the people who had to identify the bodies were people who had gone through the whole thing because they were having to identify the people they went there with, you know, um, and as if that wasn't bad enough, just this whole situation, um, they were put through additional torment. Uh, the identification process involved having the family members look through photographs, identify their loved one, and then have the body bought, brought to them for full identification. And by looking through photographs, they didn't sort them by any rhyme or reason. So if you're like, I think it's my daughter... You had to look through 89 pictures of dead boys and men, 
before you got to your daughter. So like these people had to look through stacks of photos of other dead people until they got to the picture of their dead child, friend, loved one, whatever. I'm, they, they did that. I mean, it, it's... I, I can't, I cannot even fucking imagine. Like, what? Uh, yeah. Like, here, look through this book of dead people a- and, until and you get and to let, the inevitable. Let's see if you can find the one, because I know that I don't... It's, it's I'm like trying, a, I'm not trying to step on your toes, but some people on the mm-hmm. first try couldn't recognize. Yeah. Because yeah. they were so crushed. Badly, yeah. Blue or purple or, yeah. You gotta be fucking yeah. what a Jesus Christ! So like I, I the, didn't know about that. Yeah. So even <clears throat> like the 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 family members of that sixty seven year old man had to look through a bunch of pictures of dead of, of kids dead kids before finally like oh shit there is my dad. Well, not <laughs> like could you describe him to us? It didn't he's, matter. He's sixty seven years old. <clears throat> okay, it's probably one of these two people. It wasn't even... They had... No, no here's, here's the book of uh, dead kids. Right, Flip no. through it. And this is what... They numbered the bodies. Uh. So, like, basically they had a number that corresponded with each photograph, and then they would bring the body bag. I mean, I, I kind I of understand that. Yeah. I do want, there had to be... There had to have been some sort of inventory system, sadly, because that's what that is. But... but Jesus Christ. It, it just... Um, I mean, I, I do understand needing a physical identification. Yes. I do understand that. I think it's important. I just... And you see it depicted in movies and shows all the time, like people having to identify somebody they know. But I cannot... I, that's yeah, a trauma I, all I really, on its own. I'm not even going to say anything. I'm, I know. I know. I'm just going to do that. I know. So, so... So once they positively identified their dead loved one, they were like rushed out. They're like, okay, thanks. Bye. Some of them want, I mean, some of them wanted to like hold them, kiss them, cry over them. And you want answers. Well, yes, but it was mostly just a grieving process yeah. at that point. And people people wanted a minute. Like um, there was an interview with a woman who, who you know, it was her, it was her son. And she was like, I just wanted to kiss him. I just wanted to, like, touch his face. I do and, remember that, yeah. And, and she was like, they were like, no. And just took took me straight out. And um, so... Yeah. So when the ordeal was finally over, when they finally identified their loved one, they were brought to an area where they were essentially interrogated by police. Yes. Yep. Um, Those who were at the game, like who were identifying those who they were with, um, were asked how many pubs they had been to before the match. Yep. An odd line of questioning, but... Well, if you don't already know why they were asking, we'll get to that. If you don't know where the story is going... Nowhere good. That was a... Uh, um, uh, Foreshadowing? Harbinger? No, that was a... Uh, anyway, I can't think of what I want to say. Okay. I'm so pissed off. I know. This is a bad... This is so bad. Um, that was a sneak preview. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Of what's to come. Yeah. So, so, so now you know what they're looking for. Yeah. So as you described last week... Um, this was a very clear case of poor crowd control on the part of the South Yorkshire police and the venue. But 
when seeking where to shift the blame, which happened again, like that was the first thing they were thinking of, where can we shift the blame? They didn't have to look far because the easiest thing in the world was to accuse a soccer crowd, including the victims, of hooliganism. So we touched on hooliganism in the South Africa stadium disasters, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm sure we brought it up in the Bradford City Fire thing. Yeah, but but let's talk about hooliganism here. Um, So basically... Uh, football, soccer, what have you, it has some of the most loyal fans in the world, loyal sports fans. Loyal is putting it in the most modest way possible. Um, To call a fan (laughs) rabid is sometimes an an expression of, you know, how loyal somebody is. Um, So loyal to a fault, perhaps at times, so much so that soccer hooliganism is a well-documented phenomenon, legit, that is to be clear, not what happened at Hillsborough. It However, However, it has happened in other cases. If you want to go to YouTube and put in soccer hooliganism, oh there will be 15 million videos. Well, that the show people up who and... drawn did the drawn quarter on the ref in. Uh, oh, that's right. I've yeah, never gotten South to look America. at that. I don't. I don't want to see that. Um, it's just his body afterwards. I don't want to yeah. see that. No, either. and you don't need to. Yeah. Um. So it's. I mean, we. When people get into groups that are passionate about a certain thing, you can get wrapped up in a mom mentality. Stupid stuff tends to happen. Oh, yes. Sometimes to the point of violence or vandalism. And football is so popular. It has generations of history. You can be born into a house of Liverpool fans, you know. Um, People can feel incredibly passionate about their loyalties. And when they find themselves with other people, share the same loyalties, they can become too passionate, basically. In the UK specifically, there have been many well-documented cases of hooliganism going back to at least the 60s. (coughs) (coughs) Well-documented cases of people hacking their lungs out. I apologize. All right. Nice comeback, though. Thank you. So leading up to the Hillsborough disaster, the 80s had some very well-known incidents of hooliganism in England, like in May of 1982, a riot at a match between Arsenal and West Ham United led to one ah, fan's death. I, I know both of those teams. Yeah. In January of 85, the month after I was born, uh, the goalie for football club Burton Albion, Albion? Anyway, was hit by a block of wood thrown from the crowd. <laughs> he was okay, but... Um, block of wood. I know. Like, who brings a block of wood? <laughs> who knows? He may have gotten <laughs> oh, it from, that's, you Oh, that's know. true. They tore it off something. Yeah. But who does that? I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, hooligan. This, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> a couple months later, there was massive rioting in Luton, northwest of London, surrounding a match between Luton Town and Millwall. And 85 was a big year for football hooliganism. Jesus this keeps going. Christ. So the Bradford City Stadium fire was May 11th of 85. Oh, okay. I, I, uh, that was not... Not hooliganism sure, never reported to be, but... But I had 86 in my mind for some reason. So it yeah, was 85. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I believe it was 85. Um, on the same day, literally, as Bradford City, uh, hooliganism as a bur- at a Birmingham City-Leeds United match led to the death of a 14-year-old boy. Jesus. So that was a bad day. Um, then on May 29th, same year, just a couple weeks later... Okay. And we're, we're only in the month of May. Yeah, this is all in the one month. <laughs> Um, and a disaster we will surely cover at some point, the Hazel Stadium disaster, or Hazel, I don't know, led to the crushing deaths of 39 football fans oh in Brussels Jesus. at an international match between Liverpool and Italian FC Juventus? Yeah, Juvent- Ju- Juventus. Juventus. Okay. Yeah. Um, additional incidents continued throughout the 80s. So 
This is the those, cultural background surrounding Hillsborough. Those are two huge teams in their respective division. I know we'll Liverpool is. Yes. I, I never heard of. Uh, Juventus plays in the other league. The, the Spanish, Italian the Spa- league. Or, yes, thank you. Yeah, one of those. They're always in the um, UEFA Cup somewhere. What's UEFA? The United European Football Association, oh, I believe. Okay. It's all the club teams from the different countries. Oh, okay. So you'd gotcha. have like Liverpool, Manchester United. Versus the World Cup, which is everybody. Against like Barcelona, teams like, yeah, World Cup is country. Um, no, World Cup is the world. Well, it's but it goes by country. Oh country yes, club. I got you. The UEFA Cup is literally by. Oh, you know, club I never team. thought of that. Yeah, it's that two they, that you just have like one one club per country or one team per country in the World Cup. Yeah, I know nothing of soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know a, more about I know hockey. A, I know a little bit more, and that's good. You should know more. I know about more hockey. about hockey than more I Americans know. should know more about. Hockey. <laughs> more Canadians should know more about hockey. Hey. Um. Well, yeah. <laughs> So it was incredibly easy for anyone looking to dodge responsibility at Hillsborough to oh, just, just point a finger because it's like, hey, look at all this shit that's well, been happening. This is just another I mean, this incident. Is, this is like a proven thing. Like if people just see the headline. Oh, and we'll get into that's that. That's what they're that's all they're going to think. And so they're they're trying to make that the headline. Well, they succeed. Yep. The anyway. easiest thing to do is to point the fingers at the fans, say they were participating in hooliganism Including the people who died, which is a, a fucking smear job if ever I've heard one. Anyway, and the center of this allegation was Chief Superintendent David Duckenfield of the South Yorkshire Police. So he was the one who said yes, open gate C, which is what he was. led he was. to the extreme crowd crushing basically this dude. That's what led to... Made the decision that led to people's That's death. what led to two human tornadoes mm-hmm. colliding with each other. In two pens, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. And which created all this energy and force to literally crush people to death. Mm-hmm. Can you... Yep. Fu- I, I still, I don't... So basically, this man's piss-poor crowd control was one of the... Pro- and... I say one of, because we'll get into some True. other stuff, primary causes of the deaths of 96 people. It was like 90% of it. 80% uh, yeah, of we'll it. Get, again, yeah. we'll get into There's, it. There are some other but, factors, but this was the main one. But Duckenfield didn't see it that way. At least not initially. So Duckenfield joined the South Yorkshire Police Force in 1963 at age 16. Wow. Okay. And rose through the ranks over the years. Sergeant, so apparently, inspector. So apparently in the UK you can become a cop when you're 16. In the 60s. I don't know if you can do that now. So he went to sergeant, I inspector, chief inspector, superintendent in 83. 19 days before the Hillsborough disaster, Duckenfield was promoted to chief superintendent. Less than three weeks he had been on the job. Um, he was new to his position. Uh, and the Hillsborough match was the first match. This match was the first one he was overseeing. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge match. And when he was doing the press conference uh, for it, um, he messed up the name of the Nottingham Forest team. Well, um, what did he call it? I can't remember, but Just, he messed up the name and the people were like... Like, do you know football, dude? And he doesn't. And he doesn't. He, yeah. He's not, not a footballer. <laughs> Might. That's a, <laughs> that's a nice British-Australian hybrid, yes. David. <laughs> I was just trying to... I've got to find humor in this somehow. I know, I know. So base... That, that was my best attempt. <laughs> it was good. So 
because he basically had no idea what the fuck he was doing, he gave the orders to open gate C, but that's not what he told investigators. He began the smear job against the fans immediately saying, oh, I didn't open these gates. The crowd Open like forced them open. Forced the barrier because open. they were hooligans. Yep. I believe you said they tore down the barrier. Yes, tore it down. Yes, mm-hmm. like actively tore it down. Yeah. So the image of a bunch of hooligans busting down a gate, um, and especially because that was the story a police superintendent told, was something that the tabloid press latched onto, like. At the beginning, because it made for great headlines. Something that was so easy to sell. Yes, exactly. And the South Yorkshire police ordered blood alcohol testing on some of the survivors and the victims, including children, little bitty children, a 10 year old, like 14 year olds. It, It was sick. So the rumors of hooliganism, the visual of people tearing down the advertising boards which we brought up before. They were using it for stretchers. So we know that it was not for a non-nefarious purpose, but what do you think footage could be used as or pictures that they were oh, to make they it were look like they demolishing were. the stadium. And right? also the Nottingham Forest fans reacting because they didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Thinking that they were taunting them. Right. You, so you have that angle too. Yeah. It was, oh, it was all the hooligans on the other side of the field. Right. Like everybody over here was fine. Why do you think that is? Because we're... Yeah. Yeah. And the rumors of alcohol involvement, which were horribly persistent for years, um, led to a nasty and persistent image of the disaster being caused by the victims themselves. In other words, a textbook definition of blaming the victim. Uh, The Sun, the newspaper The Sun or the tabloid The Sun, very noticeably uh, ran false stories about fans pickpocketing victims when they were actually helping them, which we know, um, urinating on police officers, which did not happen, um, hitting police officers who were trying to administer CPR. Um, we spoke with uh, one of my bandmates, his well, he and his wife are British, and his wife is a diehard Liverpool fan. And she was telling us some stuff about, like, what it was like when that all happened. Mm-hmm. And she said one of the stories, sort of insidious stories that lasted, was the whole um, that there were rumors that some of the fans were peeing on the bodies of the victims. Mm-hmm. When it was actually the victim's own bodily fluids, because that can happen when you die. And just, it's just horrible, horrible. Um, And the Sunday Times accused Liverpool fans of acting, quote, like animals. And that was a common um, dehumanization tactic that they used. Oh, of course. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly, yeah, absolutely. Those people are animals. If you say it enough. People are going to start to believe it. I wonder who else has done that uh, lately. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> lately meaning on an hourly basis? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not even going to. We don't with. need to be made more mad, do we? No. Okay. So let's talk about the inquiries. Um. So what happens with most cases like this? Um, an inquiry. 
was begun immediately. And by immediately, I mean the same day. Like, it just started as soon as the disaster was over, um, or even while it was still kind of... All the police had to sit in one section of the stands after this was all done. To be questioned. To give their statements Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. And And they're all sitting there. It's like waiting. And on the other end of the field is just literally all this carnage. Just Ugh, shit blooded, ripped down. Well, yeah. fences ripped down. Yeah. Just all, just A destroyed stadium. Looked like a tornado yeah. fucking went yeah. through that section of the stadium. And yeah. they, they're all sitting there. And I doubt any of them were even really looking at it. They were probably going through in their own mind what the fuck just happened. Well, because they had to give a, a narrative of their experience. Yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, so, so... Uh, heading this inquiry was Lord Justice Taylor. So here's their here's his um long English name, <laughs> Peter Taylor, Baron Taylor of Gosforth. <laughs> like you said, we have to find some. We do, we do. some lightness I'm, somewhere. I'm sorry, it had to be at the expense of the UK, but come on, the, the... it's not at the expense. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I want a title. I want a title, damn it. Well, I'm going to earn mine. Remember, I'm going to be a count one day. From what? That goes back to our Hindenburg episode. Uh, I don't remember. Count von Zeppelin. Oh, (laughs) I gotcha. I'm like, yes, I I want to be that person. (laughs) Just because of his name. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. This one's not so much. This one, th- this one's like uh, Gosforth, though. Yeah, I imagine There's somebody. I imagine like a dainty person who like requires tea at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> when I hear Count von Zeppelin, I think of somebody <laughs> that like Henry would say yes, on the last podcast. I think of somebody who like literally created a new industry. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I'll take Count. I'll, I'll be Count uh, Von St. Louis. Okay. Or St. Von Louis. <laughs> so, back to Lord Justice Taylor. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Yes. He, I, I, yeah, I don't want his full name ever. No, again. we will not say that every time. Uh, so, he was appointed to head the inquiry the same day, so like day one. Um, now, at the time, he was a judge on the Court of Appeal. So, that was his. his uh, job and it was his job to sift through the different versions and narratives of events to determine what exactly caused the deaths of 95 people at the time and obviously the eventual death of another i wonder whose statements are going to get left out well well hang in on this oh okay um and a coroner's inquest began at this time sure so we're already going to start to see narratives diverge like from day one with the inquiries so um, so yeah, there's this stuff is all happening simultaneously, but I'm going to talk about each one separately. So let's talk about the Taylor report. The final Taylor report. So there's like an interim report sure. release, and that was like a whole um, controversy. Then, then but, there will be the investigative report after they've had some time. And well, there was apparently some controversy over the whole interim report. That was one of those things I didn't get into because may I just say we're only halfway through this. But um, he released his final report in 1990, and it stated that, quote, the main reason for the disaster was the failure of police control, end quote. Good. Just bam. Because that's what it was. Well, yeah. So the official Mm. capacity of Penn's, was it two and three or three Three and four? four. Three and four. Was 2,200, okay? Mm -hmm. So now- even that was wrong. It shouldn't have been. That was the official listed capacity, 
But to conform to the regulations at the time, it actually should have only been 1,693. So they already had their capacity over what was considered safe by 500. Um, Now, an estimated crowd of over 3,000 people were let into the pens. So almost double what was actually safe and regulation of the time. So that's what led to the crush. The report also included what were considered secondary or aggravating factors to the disaster, including, and erroneously, alcohol consumption. However, Taylor did note that most fans were, quote, not drunk, nor even the worse for drink, end quote. So he considered it an aggravating factor, but also said, but to be fair, most of the fans weren't fucked up basically. (laughs) That's my American translation. Okay. Modern American translation. New American version. Um, Are you drunk, love? (laughs) No, might. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Taylor was also highly critical of the South Yorkshire police and the testimony that they gave, uh, saying they were, quote, evasive, and that the higher-ranking officials were it was he had a great quote i wish i had written it down it was something like um the quality of the evidence that the police office or that the police gave was inverse to their rank i see so in other words like the higher up they went the shittier their testimony they're more unreliable their testimony got right god yeah so the taylor report though it didn't get everything right no alcohol was not a factor um did cause a huge positive change in many stadiums due to its recommendations, especially when it came to capacity control and our old friend, standing room only areas. Remember the Who concert disaster? Oh, yeah. It's just a bad idea. Yeah. Just a bad idea. Um, The UK government required that stadiums or stadia uh, convert to be all seated. They're like, no, Mm -hmm. no more of the standing Mm -hmm. shit. No. Sit down. And many stadiums removed the fencing, like that yes. was present yep. present at Hillsborough to avoid crushes like it's that. It's part the of the it, well, part of it's one of the main reasons this whole thing happened. Yes, because people, people were getting couldn't, crushed, couldn't get out. Right, like in um, Bradford City, people were able to escape onto the pitch they were. because there were not there fences, were no fences there. So some people were actually able to get away because of that. Can you imagine if they had been penned in? Oh. Oh, I no. No, I yeah. Let's not think no. of even worse things. Nope. So, um, now I had mentioned uh, a coroner's inquest, as you recall. Yes, this is going on simultaneously. So here's what happened. Now, coroner's inquests—they're different in different parts of the world. We do have them here in America, but they're not mm-hmm. like trial level. I get the impression that in places like Australia and the UK, they carry a little more weight, like with the law. Okay. But essentially, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that a coroner's inquest is to figure out the mode and manner and cause of death. I would guess. Of, yeah. But using a jury, an sure. impaneled jury. So, oh, okay. um, so South Yorkshire coroner Dr. Stefan Popper. <laughs> I was just waiting for that. Uh, made a very... I was, I was in the middle of a sip. I, was, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Popper. Dr. Popper. Made a very controversial decision to limit his investigation to what happened up to 3.15 p.m. that day. 
And that's, yeah. Just nine minutes after the game was halted, his stated logic was that by that point, all victims were either dead or brain dead and beyond saving. Not true. Not at all. Not Not even close. It was per medical reasoning, but it was bogus medical reasoning. And you're right. It it wasn't even close. Um, This was highly controversial because, first of all, that's awfully presumptuous to think of almost 100 people. How the fuck would you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to assume they were all dead. Yeah, and whatever later. It's like an arbitrary cutoff point. When you you know that two people uh, had survived post this. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for, to some, for sure, you know, right. two people made it out of there technically still alive well, and stayed that way. One of them three, for four really, days. Because the, the third guy like lived and then recovered to an extent. So, so yeah, that is not an assumption you could make. No, it was a terrible assumption. And if you're a doctor, you should never be making assumptions anyway. Yes, exactly. Um, and then second of all, there were witness accounts that at least one victim, if not more, were showing signs of life well after that point. Sure. And uh, needed attention that they never got. And not, no, well, no, not just any witness, but one of those fully qualified medical doctors who oh, were in the okay, crowd. Oh, okay, yes, okay. He was at the game. There were two doctors in the crowd who played a very important part in helping victims and survivors that day, but neither were taken into account in either the Taylor report or the coroner's inquest. And one of them was literally giving CPR to a kid after that cutoff point because he saw signs of life in him. So in March of 1991, so this took a while. The coroner's inquest resulted in the cause of death in each of the victims case to be accidental death. And for years, that's where it stopped. It was just yeah, that right. these people right. died from an accident, a and tragic sto- accident. And the story kind of went away a little bit. So here's, yeah, the, the families of the victims and the survivors continued to champion. They're like, this is ridiculous. This isn't over. They, they were not hooligans. They were not drunk. They didn't do anything wrong. And this wasn't some sort of, uh-oh, whoopsie-daisy, tragic accident. <laughs> Somebody fucked up major here, and we want them held responsible. I thought of it this way. Like, I was in the restaurant industry for a long time. If I fucked something up from somebody's order, guess who I was going to blame? What? The kitchen. Oh, Because the person sitting at the table doesn't know that I fucked up. And the person in the kitchen doesn't care. (laughs) Well, no, some of them do, but they don't know that I just told them that they fucked up. I guess that's the thing, yeah. Because if they did know that, they would trust me, they would care. Yeah, I guess Pretty much so, all yeah. of them. But that's just fucking up somebody's order. That's literally has it's no It's literally going to have no consequence on their life. Yeah. It's going to have a bit of a consequence on their experience. experience. But we're not talking about 96 people dying because of your It's almost malfeasance. 100 people dead. I, but I'm children dead. I'm trying to relate it in this way of I get the I don't want to take responsibility for this. We can all relate to that, yes, right? But my degree of not taking responsibility just means you, you didn't have the experience <laughs> we you necessarily all wanted to have. Tried to pass the buck. This is very different. You are in a position where you're responsible. We're passing the buck should not be an option. It's not an option. No, it's not. Oh, but it is, clearly. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be. Right. Right. His initial statement should never be taken. It should never be um, 
it should never be a, a, a stenographer taking it. Like, oh, he said this, so it must be true. Right. It should be always challenged from right. somebody of authority. Right. You know, did this really happen this way? And this... So, God. I know, I know. So the families of the victims and survivors, like, kept at it for years. They were saying it was crowd control. Our family members, our friends, were not at fault in any way. And not only that, and plus, people who survived knew it was crowd control. Yes, yes, and and they were saying this was not an accident. This was negligence at yes. best. Yes, at best, this was negligence. Um, so they are like, people need to be held responsible for this. These people are literally getting away with negligence. Plus, we had already had negligence. previous incidents at this very yes. stadium. Yes, they lost their right to hold. The semifinal right. for six years because yeah. of an incident. Thankfully, nobody yeah. died, but I think it was like 35 injured, or 34 yeah. people injured with like broken mm-hmm. arms and legs, like not mm-hmm. small injuries. Mm-hmm. So, so that's uh, I know, I know. Let's keep going. Okay. Uh, there's more. I know. There's more. Oh, there's so much more. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is such a long we episode. Might win two smoke breaks tonight. Yeah, right? Um, so in 1997, there was some thought that things might actually get reopened. So eight years after, right, or eight years on, uh, the government turned over, led by a new administration. I believe this was Blair, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, 97 it would, have would have been Tony yes, Blair, it would right? Have been. Yep. And new Home Secretary. Remember because Princess Diana had just died like two or three months into his. Oh really? I did not remember that, yes. but okay. Mm-hmm. And new Home Secretary Jack Straw ordered a new investigation. The investigation was led by Lord Justice Stuart Smith, and that's that's a hyphenated last name, not his first name was Stuart, who concluded that there was no need to reopen the inquiry or to add to it in any way. He bought the coroner's report. But the controversy never went away, thanks to just the absolute happy Passover chutzpah of... And determination of the victims, families, and their survivor and the survivors who organized themselves as the Hillsborough Family Support Group. That was like their nonprofit organization. I think it was, you know, like a, a formal organization. But anyway, they continually fought to be heard. And even though it took literally decades, it finally happened. So let's talk about the Hillsborough Independent Panel. Yes. Let's. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm hoping they didn't market themselves that way. No, no, I I just... Yes, I know. You know I like to look at the... And we've got to find the humor somehow. Exactly. God. In 2009, 20 20 years years after the disaster, a decade ago now, the British government finally responded to the victims' families and formed the Hillsborough Independent Panel to produce a new report on the disaster. The panel was chaired by the Bishop of Liverpool, James Jones, along with various professionals, including a human rights lawyer, an investigative journalist, a deputy chief police constable, and a broadcaster. So it's like a pretty varied panel of people. And... This is under David Cameron, I believe. That was becomes that who prime minister been around this time. Probably. I think uh, so. Uh, well, sorry, I don't know. Why. <laughs> actually, actually, let us know. Okay. 
What was I he wanna, like? Like fourteen at the time. <laughs> but I want to say that this was also um, like a, a new administration. I believe when this is going. Oh, this wouldn't have been Blair. Yeah, I think yeah. this was after Blair. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. So their report was finally published on September twelfth, two thousand twelve, and it was a bombshell. Included in the report, I put bullet points because I this see that. Is, all right. I'm not reading it, though. Okay. You always accuse me of reading it upside down, <laughs> which, which I cannot do. I do it to your stuff when you when you See? do research. I know. That's what's known as projection. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I'm going to cough. Okay. So included in the report was confirmation that all Liverpool fans were completely innocent. They were completely exonerated of any hooliganism any wrongdoing, and they were completely exonerated of alcohol contributing at all. They were just blanket, like, this had nothing to do with them. They were not at fault in any way. uh, How it takes... 2012, is that where we are? Mm Mm-hmm. How it takes 23 years to fucking get to that is... I know. Jesus Christ. The report, which you can find online, like this report in full... Um, It included a history of Hillsborough's poor crowd control, which you talked about, Um, a criticism of the emergency response and its breakdown. They called out the inadequacy of medical evidence analysis from the victims, especially they were like, this whole 3.15 p.m. cutoff, bogus. It's just, yeah, it's complete bullshit. Yes. Um, We we have proof that it's complete bullshit because people survived, died later. Yes. At these grounds. So, And then I haven't gotten into this much, um, but they confirmed this had kind of come out earlier in earlier years, but this was an official condemnation or confirmation, I guess, that the statements made by South Yorkshire police officers were, quote, initially handwritten as recollections, then subjected to a process of Review and alteration involving SYP solicitors yep. and a team of SYP officers, because, end quote. Because actual police that had put out statements were like, that's, that's not, not what, what I, I said. said. Yeah. They assumed, like, they were like, here, sign here. And they were like, oh, okay, because you took my statement. No, they fucking doctored that mm-hmm. shit. They literally or doctored that shit. Or straight up just shit. lost statements yep. on purpose. Yep. Yep. So in other words, they... They doctored people's statements before handing them over to Taylor. So Taylor, who came to broadly the right conclusion, even with doctored yes, statements. Yes, he actually did. Yeah, he did. Wow, I never thought of it that right? way, but you're right. Uh, Stu- e- e- even while being misguided, he yes. still came up with the, the right conclusion. Broadly, yes, yes. Uh, Stuart Smith had also learned of this in 1997 but determined that it did not constitute malpractice. Oh, uh, Jesus fucking. The Hillsborough Independent Panel begged to differ, so. And what would constitute <laughs> malpractice? I don't since we're know. bringing this up, since this doesn't, right. like what would? Like would you actually have to see it for yourself? I don't know. While I don't it's going know. on? I don't know. Like that's It's I, bullshit is what it is. Bullshit. My god. And very important. That's not malpractice. Right, what is? Tell me what is, yeah. Should we just get rid of it altogether? (laughs) Because there's no point in it, obviously. Jesus. Oh. And this is incredibly important. They came to the conclusion that David David Duckenfield lied 
when he said that the crowd took down Gate C to save his own ass and that the media, they called out the media saying they clung to this false. went right along with it. Blame the victim narrative that endured for years. Jeez, something else like that in our country has also happened recently. Let's move on. We can't, we can't get, mustn't get distracted. Oh, God. I I just want to throw something. I know. After the Hillsborough Independent Panel Report, Prime, oh, there we go. Prime Minister David Cameron. Oh, there we go. See, I was right. (laughs) You were. I forgot I read that. (laughs) Apologized formally on behalf of the British government. Good. Yeah, uh, there, yep. At least somebody for fucking once who was in a, who was in a position of authority. Yeah. He apologized for the entire government. Like, fuck, we failed you. Um, well, at least he did that. Right. I mean... And another person who apologized was Calvin McKenzie, the editor of The Sun, the time of the disaster, who made the decision to go after the victims so viciously. Although he also, like, was like, oh, but it wasn't really me. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Did, his, he did his fucking little mea culpa. Yeah. But he knew that going after this story was going to sell a hell of a lot more newspapers than... He also apologized after this whole fucking report came out. <laughs> not, or not before. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Like, that, that guy can shove his apology up his fucking ass. The Hillsborough Family Support Group called for a new inquest... And for prosecutions against those who had hid the truth for so long. Or lied. That's another word for it. All right. Exactly. Yeah. So, on December 19th, 2012, my 28th birthday, uh, my last birthday before I met you. I was just going to say, yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? I remember that birthday. (laughs) Because because I was around for your 29th birthday. Yeah. 27 was the shittiest year I ever had. And I remember, I remember. 36 was for me. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. That's right when we met. Turning 28, like literally watching the clock after midnight. I was laying in bed. I I shit you not. This is just a little bright point in in all of this. I was laying down in bed and I was born at 12.07. So at 12.07 a.m. It turned 12.07 and I went like this. I just like fist pumped the air and I was like, it's gone. 27 is fucking gone. And it, it's a new chapter in turn number one. Yes, it was. Oh, but now let's go to this. Yes. So when I was doing all that lovely stuff, um, it was morning in Britain and Attorney General people, Dominic people Grieve. People had been dragged through fucking hell. Well, Attorney General Dominic Grieve threw out the verdicts of the original inquest and ordered that new ones be held. He's like, fuck all that shit. We're starting from square one here, okay? The inquiries began at the end of March 2014. Bills of justice move slowly. We know that. And it lasted for two years. On April 26th, 2016, almost exactly three years ago today, like basically mm-hmm. close to Pretty it. Close. Um, in 27 years after the tragedy, the jury of the inquest returned a verdict of unlawful killing of all 96 okay. victims. So that's holding somebody responsible. Unlawful killing means they didn't die by accident. Right. Somebody caused their deaths unlawfully. Okay, so yes. now we're making some... Yes. Further, the jury... So it's not. It's no longer just in a report. A jury, Decided by law... That. yes. D- well, and determined that the fans in the stadium that day did not cause or contribute to the deaths of the 96, and that at the time of death, 
at the time of death, or that the time of death, sorry, all but one of the victim's time of death was after that arbitrary 315 cutoff. They're like, no, almost everybody was alive by then, you dicks. And could have been saved. Well, or, or could just, have been. It's not even that. That sure. was a separate thing, sure. right? Yes, uh, obviously, a better response would have probably led to a lot of people surviving. But just that they were like, "Oh no, it doesn't. Nothing. Nothing after yeah, three fifteen matters. Like, doesn't fuck matter. You. Like, no. So it's all good. As for charges, on June twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, it was revealed that six people would face charges, criminal charges over Hillsborough. David Duckenfield. Good for. Now they did not include. Um, I don't. I, I don't want to get his name wrong. Can I Tony say, Bland. Can I say it in the manner of Tan France? Okay. Good. Good. Yes. You're not wearing a French tuck. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just wearing a sweatshirt. Yes. Um, so he was not. Can you French tuck a sweatshirt? Maybe. I should ask Tan. I guess so. I'm going to tweet it at him later. <laughs> um. Duckenfield was never held responsible for Tony Bland, but he was charged with 95 counts Good. of manslaughter Good. by gross negligence. Yeah. So, but we're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Norman Bettinson of the Yorkshire Police was um, charged with misconduct in public office. Graham Mackerel, who we'll get into in a minute, former Sheffield Wednesday FC Club secretary was charged with violating the Safety at Sports Grounds Act of 1975. And then three others, Peter Metcalf, a solicitor, Donald Denton, a cop, and Ellen Foster, a cop, were charged with perverting the course of justice, which I think is like obstruction here. The charges against Bettison were dropped. The Crown Prosecution Service said they, they had insufficient evidence to secure a conviction. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. It just meant they they were not confident in proving it. Metcalf, Denton, and Foster are all set to stand trial later in 2019. Like this is gonna be this is still wow. fucking ongoing. Okay. Half of these people are still about to stand trial. Okay. Okay. So now we're gonna cover Mackerel and then Duckenfield. Mackerel. Quick explanation of who Graham Mackerel is. So he was the Sheffield Wednesday Football Club club secretary. He so that's the home team at Hillsborough, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and the home team um, administration is often responsible for the stadium, right? Because it's their home. I'm sure. Team. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. They they would know it the best. Right. Well, and they're it's part it's owned by the club yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So more importantly, he was also the club's safety officer, oh. a position that was created after Bradford City. Oh, They're like, hey, okay, so there's you the guys tie need, into yeah, you guys need a, a safety. Everybody needs a safety officer. So Mackerel joined um, Sheffield Wednesday the following year in '86 as an administrator. You know how this guy was trained as an accountant. <laughs> of course, an accountant. The updated regulations Why is that, <laughs> that created the role of safety officer had just been instituted in the few months leading up to his arrival in Sheffield. And they're like, they're like, we'll just take him. Here. Like, sure. Whatever. The accountant guy. He's an accountant. He's yeah. used to like regulations, yeah, right? It's like when we did the uh, the fire in the, at the one hotel in Vegas. Like, well, we didn't put sprinklers in because we just assumed everybody knew how People to put out People are going to be there all the time. Someone like, can put it out. In our eyes, everybody's <laughs> a fireman. Yeah. Yeah, in this our in our eyes in this situation, everybody can be a safety officer. Accountant, safety officer. Deal. It's not. Yeah. yeah, 
you know, same shit. Rules. Um, it was mackerel. It was mackerel who allocated seven turnstiles for ten thousand yes. Liverpool yep. fans, and that's that's why we were getting to. It wasn't just Duck and Field. This turnstile thing was an aggravating factor. Mm-hmm. So. 10,000 Liverpool fans had standing only tickets. They were supposed to get through seven turnstiles, um, almost all of them, in an hour, in an hour's span. And, and, and they were told to show up, which most people knew, like be there by uh, 2.45 local time. So people Right, knew like 15 minutes before, right. You're trying to cram, and we right. know 4,400 did get through. It was the 5,600 still outside that they were trying to cram through with about a half hour to go before the game started. Right. So, but even if the 10,000 people threw seven turnstiles in an hour, that would mean that almost 1,500 people would have to pass through each turnstile in an hour, which was almost double what those turnstiles were meant to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was unsafe for that many people to have to go through that turns out in that period of time. Fucking stupid. Yeah, in other words, Macro's poor planning led to the backup at the turnstiles, yep. which right. led to the opening of Gate C. Because the original crush is happening yes. outside. Yes. That's why they opened Gate C. That's why Duckenfield said open Gate C. He tried to avoid one tra- terrible idea with another terrible by idea. Make, he, right, by making a bad mistake. Yes. I don't he I do not think he did that. In no, malice. I he, don't think he did. He wasn't trying to kill anybody, I'm no, sure. But he His wasn't biggest, realizing the situation. We'll get to him in a minute. Yeah, so, sorry. On April 3rd, 2019. Oh, that's right. This just happened. Yes. Like very recently, at age 69, Graham Mackerel was the first individual to be convicted of a criminal charge. In the Hillsborough disaster. Good. First person Good. in almost 30 years to the day. First person to ever be criminal. Because you convicted. hinted at that. And uh-huh. I was like, well, I'm not going to look at it because I knew we were going to cover you this. You to see how it worked. Yep. But yes, you were you were like something. You said a couple weeks ago, you were like, yeah. you were like something about this just, just happened. Just happened, yes. So this is it. Yes. He that's similar to the Humboldt case, right? Like it had just happened mm-hmm. when when I when we were covering so, it. Has he had a sentencing yet, or is that May okay. next month? He was found guilty of failing to discharge his duty under the Health and Safety at Work Act, and is set to be sentenced next month. I saw this guy's name here and there when I was doing my Mackerel. research, but he was involved. <sighs> Not so much in anything I wanted to put him in on the fir- was, on the first episode. Really, it was a pre-planning thing right. that he fucked up on. Right. Like, it, I didn't even get the impression that he was like standing there looking at everything. No, he like Duckenfield. No, Duckenfield definitely was. He just was was the idiot that didn't think better about. I the, was focusing the on the situation on the two cops that were in that area where the crush started to happen outside that right. gave like accurate assessments of what was going on. Right, and that. It's, yeah, so right. good. Okay. Are we ready for our dear David Duckenfield? Let's uh, let's let's try to remember when this sentencing happens to bring it up on whatever. Yes. Yeah. We need to. We might be we doing. We need to. Yeah. Follow up. Yes. So David Duckenfield, the man who made the bonehead call to open Gate C and then worse than his mistake, cover he up. lied to cover it up. It's not the original. You cop to something. 
what is it that people have a short memory, right? I'm not saying that people would have a short memory about this, but if he had, if he had admitted from day one that this is what happened, the anguish and pain that he could have saved people from uh, yeah. just I mean, by, this is why that, the humble bus driver who pled guilty, think of what he saved people from. Right. He could have been this asshole. Mm-hmm. He could have been this Could guy. have been trying to save his own ass. He could have been. But, he could have dragged those families through years of but I think trials he, and litigation. Right. But you know what? He was actually a decent human being. I think he knew he fucked up and he's like, it would be even worse for me to try to hide this. He, I'm going to come out and... He did the only right thing you can do after you fuck up. Exactly. You you take your fucking lumps. You take your responsibility. I don't care if it means jail time. I don't care what it means. You do what the fuck you have to do to not put somebody else through more misery. This asshole put hundreds. 96 families, thousands of people through. Thousands of people. Basically, and an entire country, really. Yeah. Through hell, yeah. thirty and an entire years. Fa- and an entire fan base too. Yes, this, this yes. affected Liverpool's image. Like I said, a country, like basically, yeah. a, yes. Well, Liverpool so, is not the country. No, I know. I didn't say he, <laughs> no, they I know, were. I know. So he's seventy-four now. He was originally actually charged for his part in the disaster in two thousand. At that point, they already had revealed that he had lied. Like it had come out by that point. Okay. It not so a verdict. Not officially, he would or? no. He okay. was he fucking went through trial in two thousand. Okay. A verdict couldn't be reached. Okay, so it was like a hung their version of a hung jury I think or so. our version. I think so. And they denied a retrial, so they're like, okay, you can go. He retired for medical reasons and was given a full pension from the police. So he retired, right? He was brought up on charges again in September 2018. He pled, as fucker, he pled not guilty. Went back on trial, January 8th in 2019, same day as Graham Mackerel, his trial ended April 3rd. The jury failed to reach a verdict again. Hung jury, basically. It was a required unanimous verdict. Eight days of deliberation. The Crown Prosecution Service has said that they will seek a retrial. Good. There's fucking security camera footage. Yeah. Not only from exactly. not only from the grounds, but from where his box is, where he is. Yeah. Now it's grainy as shit, and you can't exactly tell what's going on in certain situations, but what you can tell is that there's a gigantic crowd built up outside, and it also shows Gate C just being opened. Yep. Not not crushed not down. Crushed or down or hopped over yeah. or uh-huh. opened. Mm-hmm. At whose orders? And the one and one of the cops in one of the documentary, he's like, he's like, yes, he's like, I gave that, um, not that order, I gave that suggestion oh, to okay. not to open gate C, to open up. He said to open up something to relieve. He was like, we got to relieve pressure. We've got to help then, this, yeah, the situation. He said somebody's gonna fucking die uh, if we don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't remember now. Okay. I'm, I'm pissed. Whatever. Yeah, is, I know. We're going God. on super long too. Yes. Okay. Um, God, this sucks. Are we done with the angry part? Are we I, good to move on? Or sure. do you have any last things to say? To I've, I've probably said enough. Okay. So, 30 years later, the Hillsborough disaster 
remains ongoing. There are still trials. There's still lots of shit happening. Many memorials have been erected, ceremonies held, but the disaster is never ending for those who will be there and won't be for a long time to come. A lot of the people there were really young, so they're going to keep going with this shit in their head of what happened to them, this trauma, for the rest of their lives. That's how Uh, this is going to go. It would have happened either way. I mean, even if they had oh, found yes, out the yes, truth yes, yes. from the It was you know, clearly aggravated yeah. by... Yeah. But, so, this, but this just made it ten times fucking yes. worse. Many of the survivors of Hillsborough have endured severe psychological trauma stemming from watching people die, being injured, uh, seeing people injured and die in, in front of their eyes, being injured themselves. Then, like, there was that trauma... Then it, then there was just a completely secondary trauma of being vilified and made to be the asshole, made to be the jerks, made to be the hooligans, made to be the kids who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And for decades, and now, just now, 30 years later, hints of justice are starting to be seen shadows of justice like echoes small, small victories small victories here and there and yes I, and I, and, I, best. I, and I think I think they'll settle for those for now and they hoping, no, hoping they lead to the I cannot mad, imagine the level of helplessness and lack of control you must feel and plus in you that also, whole situation plus you also have to think of the amount of money that's involved here for them to keep this thing going right they, it's not it's not free no they're keeping the name out there they're yes. keeping the whole yeah that and that the takes lawyers and stuff time and I'm sure there are some pro bono bo, pro bono lawyers this isn't civil litigation those. though oh, that's true this You're is right. criminal that's right so there, there are is none. civil litigation right. I, I didn't even get into that <laughs> right but yes this I I'm talking criminal, but um, there have I'm uh, entirely I am an, I am entirely unsurprised by this. Several suicides linked to this to Hillsborough, at least by nine by 1999, ten years after at least three survivors had completed suicide. Um, another survivor had to spend eight years in psychiatric care. I, 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 I am shocked that it wasn't every single person. Because I would be, I feel like I would be, oh, God, I can't even imagine the years of therapy. I, I needed years of therapy. I have needed years of therapy just to deal with life. I cannot imagine going through this. 22 years after Hillsborough, Stephen Whittle killed himself in an example of survivor's guilt. He wasn't at the match. He had to sell his ticket to a friend, and his friend was one of the victims. And it took 22 years, and that guilt ate away at him probably every single day for 22 years until he probably just couldn't take it anymore. And his family has suspected that he may not have killed himself if justice had been seen more swiftly. Because he was also putting up with the... That anguish, yeah. I'm sure, just added on top of it. Because he's probably else. thinking in his mind early on, like, I 
gave this guy a ticket into a mob where people were beating each other. Well, even if it wasn't that, even if he knew full well what had happened, just seeing his friend, nobody being held responsible for his friend's death. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, that's the biggest tragedy of Hillsborough. It wasn't just the 94 people who died on that day, the two people who died in the day, following days and years. Um, it wasn't even just the just, I say just, the horrific suffering of their friends and family, of the survivors, and just all of that that they had to go through. It was the absolute injustice, the secondary trauma, the long protracted battle to just be perceived as victims and survivors, not the hooligans, not the causers of this, not drunks, not jerks, but victims and survivors. It was the a sec a secondary trauma, a, a third trauma, a fourth trauma. I mean, it was just ongoing for decades because every time an article was written blaming the victims, every time an inquest was reopened, every time a verdict was given, and it's still going on every time, every year on April 15th, it just traumatizes everybody all over again, every single one of these people. And the only thing that I can even say is just, I hope at some point Maybe, maybe, maybe these people will start to feel some semblance of closure, some semblance of peace, some hint of, can we just close this chapter now? I fucking hope so. I mean, I really that's do. All, that's all that's left. Yeah. You know. And that was the... Was the second part of uh, and the end of the? Well, no, not even the end. There is no. There it's an not end. the end. And, and that was the story of Hillsborough. And to me, it's honestly, it's the worst part. It's not done. It's not going to be done. No. Probably like, not in I mean, our lifetimes. Could you imagine defaming the legacy of somebody who's dead and can't defend themselves? Can you imagine doing that? That you know is innocent, yeah. no less. Like, that you are the asshole. You are the jerk. There's a certain internet personality that's going through a civil trial right now that did the exact same fucking thing. I'm not even going to mention his fucking name because he's a piece of shit. And if he literally got hit by a bus tomorrow, I I would probably piss on his corpse if I saw it. Um, But anyway. Yeah. um, Fuck these cops. Fuck this whole... Not all the cops. Not all of them. True. Sorry. Fuck the people in charge. Yes. For sure. Fuck the media, as usual. Tabloid media. The tabloid press, yeah, that did that. Like the guy with his his apology, his mea culpa. Like, we've heard that how many fucking times, and these people never get held responsible. No. Um, they They should not be able to write something again, ever, period, for publication. Um... And it's fuck just, this whole fuck this whole story. It's it's so. I mean, it's pe- upsetting. People on are like a, people are dead for no reason. Yeah. Except for that, certain people who had to have these people's backs fucked up badly. That's the only reason they're dead. They fucked up, and then they immediately thought, "How can up. I cover my ass?" Yeah. That's the thing. Is. 
there was a whole stupidity that went into the actual leading up to the actual tragedy. Yeah. Just people not knowing their jobs. Yeah. If they had said from day one, I fucked up. I will take whatever you whatever, give me. What do you give me? They they can't this bring whole, this whole thing would have they never can't had bring, to have They cannot bring ninety six people back. No. Just like I hate to keep drawing this comparison, but just like that Humboldt bus driver couldn't bring all those nope. kids back, all, all those hockey do, players. All he could do was take responsibility for that it. That was and he did. all he could do. And there is such an honor in that. Yeah. There is a dignity in that. There's a humanity in that. That's why people that. spoke on his behalf. Yes. Victims and, and survivors. Uh, like, yes, like exactly. He gets it. He fucked up. Yes. He's owning it. And he's not gonna. He's never not get, gonna put them. Never get it. my kids kids back. Uh, it's it's not it's not the Stephen King novel Pet Cemetery, right. where even if I bury them, they come back all weird and shit. But anyway, they're not coming back. Period. This guy took responsibility yeah. for it. These people. They're fucking cowards. Absolutely. But on the worst level, they're and not just. It's not just fear. It was fucking selfishness. And should not be allowed in polite society. Anywhere, they're the Earth. kind of people that. But they're they're the kind of people who are welcomed into polite society, which is the sickening thing. They're the kind of people that make me. Um, I'm agnostic, but I wish there was a heaven and hell because I would be okay. Specifically for people like this, I would be okay going to hell if I get to watch people like that come join yeah, me. I would. Yes, it'd be it'd be it'd be less painful for me. Right, which I guess means we wouldn't know because hell's not supposed to be less painful. (laughs) But anyway, we've gone on. Wow. We've gone on a bit. It doesn't even feel like we've been talking about it. This seemed to have gone by in like five minutes. It's such a, it's so infuriating. <laughs> Unfortunately for our audience, it will not go by in like five minutes. For no, you they're going to be like, this is, this is torture. Let us go. This, there's. Ugh. So now you know what happens when I rage explain things. <laughs> and that's why we don't do true crime is because yeah. of shit like this. Yeah. Because people on purpose being irresponsible. Yes. yes. You know, I mean, there are people on purpose being irresponsible on all sorts of mm-hmm. shit that we've covered, but. You know, it's something that just happened naturally, like a hurricane or a tornado or... But yeah, imagine if we were talking about, like, people who abused children or killed kids. No, I I couldn't even do it. When we were listening to that last podcast at some point... that one I tuned that one out after a while. It was was, just background noise to me. I'm like, I don't really want to know anymore about this. Yeah, that was a serious... I'm going to play on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. We need to do something more more light-hearted next week. Actually, I do have. I will try to find to another uh, sports. You want to do? Something. Should we do ten cent beer night? Everyone's been asking for ten cent beer night. That's exactly what I was thinking. Were you? I was because I almost did that for our New Year's Eve party. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was. It was between that and the disc. I thought the disco demolition. That was, was a good fun. one. I like that one. Because because like it also signaled literally like the end of a music era. And isn't ten cent <laughs> beer night really? the opposite of Hillsboro oh, uh, and that it really was people being jerks. Oh, we'll, we'll get into that because I already know about it. So, okay. So okay. Uh, I can't guarantee that it'll be next week's, but okay. coming soon to, we need a, a, to a less depressing podcast near you. Yes. This, this was, we knew it was going to be a rough yeah. couple episodes. I didn't, I just didn't, um, because I didn't get this way when I was doing the research. I got more emotional in a sad way. Mm. Doing this one, I am really pissed off. This is like a I'm, more ragey part of the story. Yeah. yeah. So. 
So here's the thing. Here's here's the lesson of the day. You fuck up, you own up. Yep. That's just just it, there's especially don't if even think about it. Just admit especially it. Especially if you're above the age of eighteen. We'll put, it, we'll put it at that. I don't care if you're less than that. Yeah. Seeing kids lie infuriates That's me. True too. Yeah. Because I'm like, you worse. are going to turn into the fucking field to do this shit. I was just trying to give myself an out. That's all. Oh. <laughs> you're not under eighteen. <laughs> no, 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 I'm saying over. I said over oh. eighteen. Well, yeah, you, you're over 18, so how does that But I did you know? plenty of bullshitting before oh, I was 18. Oh, I gotcha. That's what, that's what I was Let's saying. Let's you go, uh, yes. Yes. No, no. Sue would never let you off the hook for that, and she shouldn't. I'll never let you off the hook for that stuff. I know you won't. Stuff, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I, I've really never done, no. We won't even go into how much of an asshole I was as a child. Yeah, we did. But anyway. We need... I I feel like we need to do like a little song and dance, something happy at the end. No, we just need to end this. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week and... Nope. You're right.